0: Is locked and ready to fire, Illogical. Hello, welcome back to uh, Federation Radio with me, your host Flo once again. So, we continued with Friday's Child, which is a... I actually forgot about this episode. It's always a bit of a weird one. I still can't decide whether I actually like this episode or it's a bit dull. I'm not sure. So, yeah, I've got the whole thing with all these notes, but I can break this episode down pretty damn quick, because... Honestly, like I said, not a lot happens. It's kind of cool at moments, it's just not much happening. So, this is an episode where we're dealing with a tribal people living on a planet. And they are discussing mining rights of, as they call it, rocks. We don't actually get told exactly what it is. I presume because it's Star Trek it has to be dilithium crystals because they seem to be the only rocks the Federation actually cares about because I believe they're one of the few substances that cannot be... What do you call it? Cannot be created in their, um, whatever you call it, those machines that make food, the fabricators or whatever. Then again, in original track, the fabricators are a little bit weirder and we're not quite sure exactly what the rules of them and what they can and can't do is supposed to be. So maybe at this point, mining rights were more of a thing. I'm not sure, but. In this episode we go there to deal with them and we start off with a nice little conference where McCoy has talked about how he's been there before, apparently he was a part of some Federation mission long ago that tried to bring medical assistance and humanitarian aid to them, but these are a seven foot tall on average people of humanoid almost Klingons, like I say that in culture, they're not actually Klingons, they're much more humanoid, but they're very violent. There are violent people who only respect strength, and they give me a very, like, all the tents and the way they do it, it's a very Mongol-like, warring tribe-on-the-move type of feel to it. And when we first land, we have a tier, who is apparently the, you know, tier is the rank being in charge of the tribe or the people. And that is fairly, you know, respectful. He's, if I had to guess, because he's a bit older, he seems to be the one that McCoy had had contact with before, so he has a bit of a history of dealing with the Federation, and He's learned that they can be very respectful, and for the most part, aren't here to enrich themselves or anything like that. They'll be fair and respectful to their people. So he's pretty good about working with them, and he's okay with it. However, when Kirk and that land on the planet to meet this guy, there's another one of their people called Mahab. And he is standing with a Klingon. Now, upon seeing the Klingon, one of the security officers that came down to the planet with Kirk and that pulls his pistol, or pulls his phaser, and goes to aim it at the Klingon while yelling, A Klingon! Look out, Captain! And very quickly, one of the locals draws his weapon, which we saw in that conference earlier they described. I like these throwing weapons. I don't know exactly what they're supposed to be. They remind me kind of like Ninja Star sort of thing, except they're like, it's almost like a bowed... What would you call it? It's almost like a boomerang looking thing, but it's made out of metal and it's much smaller and it doesn't seem to come back. They just throw it straight. Kind of like, that's why I said like a ninja star, but unlike a ninja star, they're very strong. Whatever this thing's made of or whether it's the strength of the people throwing, but like we see one of them throw it and it goes straight through a tree. So these people are either stupid strong or these things are made of something special. Either way, they're very dangerous and very effective with them. Um, McCoy actually says in the conference that if you're within a hundred meters of them they are just as effective as a phaser and will kill you just as fast, which is you know, from a sci-fi like spacefaring people, that's a pretty big thing to say about a primitive people, because normally you expect to just destroy them of course it's not equal in power, a phaser can blow up your whole house and do lots of damage while it's just a single blade, but you get caught by surprise, it'll kill you all the same now They come down, security guard dies, Kirk loses it, immediately goes to freak out. Um, The doctor gets between them and says stop and shows a bit of respect to them and says this is their way, he drew his weapon, he shouldn't have done that. And Mahab, the other guy that I mentioned, the local that's with the Klingon, says it is as the Klingon said, the Earthmen have no need of negotiations, all they do is come here to take what they wish. Because of course, he's landed before them and he's trying to badmouth them so that the Cleons can get access to, presumably, the Dilithium Crystals. We'll just say the Rocks, because that's what the locals keep calling it, the deal for the Rocks. So, the Kleons here. thing is, the Cleon is alone, which I kind of like. He's here by himself, he doesn't have a bunch of people around him. Real-life answer is probably because it would have cost a lot more in makeup to do multiple of them, but I kind of like that, like, as a warrior, people, they sent one. Because that's almost more respectable, like this warrior's putting himself in danger in the middle of a warrior tribe to do this negotiation. From a war-based society, that's a very honourable move that they would probably respect a lot. From the Klingon perspective, this looks good. Of course, they're Klingons, so they're not here for good reason. But... The leader, the Tyr that I mentioned earlier, comes out, and he basically stops all the arguments and says, I'm sure the Earthmen will be happy to hand over their weapons and communicators just as the Klingon did, and show trust in us. Kirk tries to argue that he would like to use his communicator to quickly send word to the ship, and to Scotty, who has been left in charge, because, by the way, Spock's down here along with McCoy, and they had one security guard who is now dead, so it's just the three of them. Of course, the Golden Trio. And uh the the tier says no. Says, I do not care for the sky, I only care about the negotiations here for the rocks. And so Kirk and that have no real choice. They have to hand over the communicators and weapons, otherwise they would look dishonourable compared to the Klingon. and they can't have that. So that goes on. At first it's fine, there's a bit of a debate in the main room with the tier, and Mahab and all that sort of get involved, and then eventually Mahab kind of rudely interrupts everyone and says something along the lines to the tier of, some of us will not work with the Earthmen tier," and tier stands up like it's a very tense moment where he puts his arms on his armrest and he stands up and looks at him and like they've really, I don't know if it's camera angles or whether they just found really tall people or they made the others look shorter but they were really trying to play up the height. All the locals look ...as they're trying to depict the seven foot high. It's probably camera tricks of the other crew standing a little bit lower... ...and things like that to make them look taller... ...but whatever it is, it works. So when he stands up, it's a bit intimidating... as you get this very tall man standing. He's not stupidly, like, buff or anything... ...but you see that, like, he's tall and he's capable... ...and the first thing he says when he looks at Mahab is... ...do you wish to fight me, Mahab? Which is, like, obviously if you're not willing to work with the Earthmen, I am the tier, I speak for our people. If you're not willing, it means that you are going against what I say, which in that sort of culture is, are you challenging me to the death right now? And Mahab says, if that is what you wish, and then he walks out of the room and says, but I hope it will not come to that. At first, it seems fine. There's a little instance where a woman comes in the room and tries to feed Kirk food, McCoy tells him, do not take it, because if you take it, then your nearest male relatives are going to have to try and kill you for being near her. In which case, you know, Kirk lowers his hand and says, I'm sorry. And then we see one of them come in and he sort of looks Kirk up and down, says something in his native language, and McCoy says, I believe he finds you disappointing. Which Kirk just sort of shrugs his shoulders like, I don't get, really care, it's fine. Tries to be respectful without getting himself in trouble. And then later that day, things go kind of crazy. Um, Mahab seems to have started a coup. We don't really see exactly how it starts or how many members he had versus the tears, but we see fighting breaks out. Kirk and that come out of their tent. They see what's going on. They immediately try and make their way for the room where all the communicators and that are gone because they suspect that the Klingon is going to get them. And also they want to alert the ship of what's going on. Things are going crazy. Oh, and by the way, there might be a Klingon ship nearby, just so you know. So they get in there, and of course, the Klingon's already in there, and he's flipping things around in the tent trying to get access to, presumably, do the same thing, his ship and his communicator. Now Kirk and the Klingon end up getting into a bit of a fight, and very quickly, we see Kirk landing on top of the Klingon, holding a blade to his throat, and saying, where is your ship, what kind of ship is it? Now, not long after this, Mahab comes in, along with a bunch of other soldiers, and they stand calmly while holding one blade to Kirk's throat and say, let him go, Earthman. So Kirk doesn't really have a choice in this moment, sort of drops his weapon and says, as you wish, and then Mahab announces, I am the tear now. And then he looks at the Klingon, who says, kill them now. You have to kill them now and honour our agreement. And there's real panic, because, you know, he's just lost a fight. He's... Scared he's about to be killed by the Federation, and then even worse, he might get killed by the locals if he's trying to get them like you agreed with me. Kill them quickly. Which, of course, I actually like this moment where Mahalb turns to him and he says, Perhaps to be a tear is to view things in a new way. Because I saw genuine fear in your eyes, and with every moment that passes I find myself liking these Earthmen more. Because, you know, from their perspective, they're warriors. He walked into a room, found that the Klingon had been defeated... ...and then the Klingon is cowardly trying to hide behind the tier, yelling kill them... ...after showing real fear. It's not a good sighting. From from a military perspective, that's a real... ...you're acting the coward right now. However, he still leans more towards the Klingons. Now, not long after this... ...there's an issue where the pregnant wife of the other tier that was respectful and is now dead comes in and by their nature they're going to execute her because that's apparently their culture she bears the child of the last tier who would have been the next tier which makes it a danger to mahab's rule so by their customs she must die and she's actually okay with this she is willing to die she like basically takes the knee and says to do what must be done and as the blade's about to go down of course the federation kicks in and does what they do now i'll add I understand why they're the good guys and they're supposed to help people, but this is one of those moments where I'm like, the Federation really needs to practice that non-interference a little bit more. I know it sucks and you don't want to watch her die, but if Kirk had just sat there and respected their customs and let Mahab kill him, at that point he was already leaning towards the Earthmen and he was almost pitying the Cleon. If they had stood there and allowed it to happen without really saying much, they might have actually had a foot to stand on in negotiations, but... Of course, they have to be the heroes, and they jump into a fight and try to rescue her. And they touch her as well, which is another big taboo in their culture. Like, you do not touch another man's woman unless you wish to die, let alone touching a woman that is supposed to be being killed by Mahab, and, you know, you've just gone against what Mahab wanted and tried to grab her. So, all of them are then imprisoned in another tent, along with the pregnant woman, until things are dealt with, and presumably Mahab and the Klingon go off to talk now at this point mccoy says to the captain i'm going to go treat her arm because her arm's been injured they can only kill me for touching her once and that's sort of true like it is it's what he's going to do but it's also like he gives them the side eye like there's only two guards at, like you can tell without words they're saying there are only two guards at the door you and spock get ready i'm going to distract them by touching her and you take them out And we see a bit of a, yes, that's a good idea. And then Spock nods and says, yes, an excellent idea. And wordlessly, they do exactly that. They take out the two guards. They manage to get their communicators. And they run along with the woman. They actually drag her with them because she's going to die otherwise. She's unhappy, but she can't do much. She's a woman and she's pregnant and can't really fight them right now. So they just sort of drag her away like we're going to save your life, whether you like it or not. Now... Of course, Mahab responds by gathering all of the tribesmen and going after them along with the Klingon, but they've escaped, they get a bit of a head start, manage to get out of the village a bit, and they get up into the rocky hills and they find a cave, and it's got a fairly defendable entrance with some rocks overhead and, you know, little areas where they think they can dig in. Spock describes how, sorry, they don't have their weapons, I should say, they have their communicators, but they do not have their phases, those are still in control of Mahab. But um, they've got the communicators and they come up with this idea where there's a rock, big rock overhanging a tight pathway between the rocks that leads towards the cave. And they determine this is a good spot. Spockrick shows us that apparently he did archery as a minor thing that he studied as a child. So he actually knows a lot about bow and arrows, how to make them and how to use them, which is a interesting uh skill set i would say for a science officer it was a i remember when i first watched this being very surprised that he could do that and i'm trying to think in voyager i know i shouldn't go into voyager but like in voyager there is actually an episode that is very similar to this where they're on a tribal world and one of the crew members does the similar thing where he has a history of archery And I'm almost 100% certain from my memory that it's Tuvok who is the Vulcan of that side, which makes me think maybe archery is a lot more popular with Vulcans than I thought. Or maybe it's just the authors of those two episodes, you know, happen to do that. But it's interesting that two Vulcan characters are experts at archery in two different shows. Again, because, you know, they're Vulcans, they're logical, and it's a bit weird that a logical people would not only study an art of war, but study an ancient art of war that has long since fallen out of use. And then again, logically, maybe it'll be useful in some situations, such as this one, where we don't have access to weapons, and the ability to make makeshift weapons from wherever you are is very useful. Now, not only do they make weapons, they make bows and they make arrows, they um, also manage to do a thing with the communicators, where they get them to give out a certain frequency that manages to, I forget how they call it, but like, it's, it's a real science, I forget what it's called, There's a thing, it's it's like when you sing at a glass at a certain frequency and it makes it shatter, like that is a real thing. There are technically frequencies that can make rock shatter and things like that, it's just the human vocal cords cannot come close to doing that. But you know, there's stories at ancient time of like, I, forget, I think it's David? I think it's like a biblical story of David or something. There's some story where they blow horns and it causes the walls of a city to collapse, which is... A very similar idea to this, what they do with the communicators. They basically see Mahab and his group coming. McCoy is in the cave with the pregnant woman, and he's trying to help her, you know, with her baby. Which, I'll get into that in a minute, but McCoy and Kirk are out there. No, sorry, McCoy and Kirk. Spock and Kirk are out there with their bow and arrows, and they set up the communicators in a way where they're going to focus it on the rocks above the path coming towards the cave so that it basically explodes the rock and causes a rock slide to fall all over Mahab and his men along with the Klingon, which is very smart, like, for two men that don't have weapons out here, they're really showing their ingenuity and, you know, talent here, they're making makeshift weapons, they're forming defense points, they're using their scientific knowledge to create rock slides, like, you know, you you have to give it to these guys, they are pretty good soldiers when it comes down to it, especially when they're undergeared and on an alien world, they do very, very well, and we've seen this time and time again, they're excellent at it, and it works. They drop a rock slide and it does actually. It's kind of weird because like we don't see obviously being a sixty show the way they did violence. They don't show much in the way of blood and that sort of stuff. So like rocks hit them they're the type of rocks where you can tell that they're like paper mache painted rocks that are just being used on set, and that's, you know, fine. I'm, I'm not going to argue for having real rocks thrown on actors, and it was the 60s, so we didn't really have the tech to make it look more real CGI or artificially afterwards or anything. So, they did it. You You get the concept. The rocks fall on them. A lot of people get hit. I presume a lot of them died because there's a lot less afterwards. The Klingon does survive. And then they try and pursue them to the cave, which is a bit further back up this path. Now, Kirk and McCoy, uh, I keep saying it, Kirk and and Spock are up there with their bow and arrows waiting. And they're in a position where they can see the enemy, but the enemy can't quite see them. Because they're sort of up in the stones and the hills hidden. The enemy start coming towards them. And at first they stay quiet. Now, I have to go back to McCoy in the cave and the pregnant woman because it's important for the next part. So throughout this whole escape she keeps saying you should have let me die that is my place I do not want this child like in her mind that is how their culture works her child is doomed to die she is doomed to die the moment her husband dies that's just how it is she doesn't see that as dishonorable in fact she sees being rescued as a dishonor she wants to die in her tent amongst her people in an honorable fashion so that she can be remembered now you know, I know, modern sensibilities and all that sort of stuff, people don't like that, but like it's sort of respectable. But the Federation isn't in on that. So McCoy, of course, being a doctor, because really, doctors are the ultimate form of morality, especially when it comes to our cultures, where like a doctor takes a vow to do no harm and is supposed to be all about that. McCoy is the embodiment of that. He will do no harm and he'll do everything he can for every patient. So he continues to help her, and there's a hilarious scene as they're helping her get to the cave, because obviously it's like I've been describing, rocky mountains, it's not exactly a flat road they're walking on or anything, so keep in mind she is so pregnant she's about to give birth, so if you've ever seen a woman that level of pregnant, they're not exactly in physical peak condition to be hiking through the rocky hills. So she's struggling, and she needs a bit of help. But she will not let Kirk or Spock touch her, now, she'll let McCoy touch her, and she'll let him touch her for one reason. Because before, he was trying to see if she was okay. He wanted to, you know, do a quick medical exam of her stomach and make sure the baby's alright and that she's not in any danger with them. Which is fair enough. And at first, she wouldn't let him touch her. And he says, I need to do this for the sake of the baby, and you're going to let me. And he puts his hand on her stomach, and she slaps him. Which, you know, okay. Okay. And then he touches her stomach again because he says, Listen here, you're going to let me do my job. I am here to make sure you and your child are okay. He touches her stomach again and she smacks him again across the face. Except then he does something that's unexpected. He smacks her back across the face. Like, he doesn't full-on hit her. Like, she doesn't fly down to the ground or hit her head or anything. It seems like it's a fairly light slap. But it's enough to kind of shock her. And as the type of culture they are... I think in a weird way she gets a lot of respect for him for this because, you know, they're a warrior people. He has basically just given her a command and then enforced it, which to them, I guess, is like, that's you've now earned respect. So at that point, she allows him to touch her and then she's sufficiently impressed by like he's able to just touch her stomach and feel around a little bit and then says, God, you could give birth any moment. And she says, how the hell could you know that? You touched my stomach, that's it. Even the midwives in the village don't have unable to do anything like that. And he says, because I'm a doctor. You know, and from that point forward, he is allowed to touch her. He is allowed to help her get up the cliffs and up these things and into the cave, but no one else can. Spock and Kirk are still, she will yell at them whenever they try and touch her physically. But she now likes McCoy, she now respects him, and she now, you know, lets him. Which, of course, leads to one of McCoy's famous, I'm, I'm a doctor, not a joke, says they're trying to help her go up a hill. Spock tries to, like, jump behind her and, like, you know, lean into her a little bit to, like, use his hip and shoulder to help lift her up a bit. because She's carrying a baby, it's hard to get up a rock. And she yells at him, no, do not touch me. Kirk tries to come down and help her, do not touch me, only McCoy. <laughs> And McCoy's like one arm hanging onto the rock behind him so he doesn't fall and one arm holding her arm like, Look, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. I can't help you up this. And she's like, Only McCoy. Very stubbornly until basically, I think Spock. No, I think Kirk takes the back of McCoy and says use both hands and like basically holds him up while he holds her off. Yes, they have to roundabout help her. But anyway, they take her to the cave. She argues a bit further, McCoy tries to do the whole, this baby is not your husband, it doesn't matter who the father is, this baby is yours and it is my patient. And he keeps trying to say to her, you know, say that this baby is mine, trying to get her to, in her mind, be like, this baby is mine, I want to protect it. And instead she responds with, yes, this baby is yours. And like, I I guess it's a cultural thing that because he's yelled at her or hit her once that she now belongs to him in her mind and her baby is his and it's a whole weird thing. But it's, in a way, it's nice. It's very strange, but... So yeah, anyway, she gives birth, and then while he's looking after the baby, McCoy, I mean, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, Spock and um, Kirk are outside, and they're doing all the things they're doing, setting up the arrows and blowing up the rocks while this is happening. And she gives birth, and then she whacks McCoy across the back of the head with a rock. Now, she leaves the baby, interestingly, and she runs off. Now, at this point, this is why I had to go to the cave before I finished explaining, because they're up in the hills, Spock and McCoy. Why do, why do we keep going to say McCoy has a bow? He does not have a bow, he's in the cave. But uh, at this point, they're up in the hills with their bows. McCoy does manage to tell them that he's been, you know, hit and that she's run off, but the baby's still here. Kirk basically forbids him from joining the fight and says, No, you took an oath long before you joined my ship. Get back in that cave and look after that baby. We will take care of this. And then, you know, like I said, they use the rock slide. After that, she comes running out without her pregnant belly. And she says to Mahab, who obviously stops, he holds his hand up like, stop, why is she here by herself? And she walks up and says, the baby is dead. I have taken care of it myself. And then Mahab says, what about the Earthmen? And she says, I've killed them as well. You have my word as a Tear's wife. Now follow me back to the village. I am going to die in my own tent as our people's way. And for Mahab, that's enough. Because they're an honourable people and they normally don't lie. So for him, that's fine. The Klingon, however, says no. I wish to see their bodies. And Mahab turns to him and says, no. Her word is law. She was the wife of a Tear. She has this right. The Klingon, of course, does not listen. He, he runs off and uh, tries to attack. Now... Earlier we saw during the rock slide there was an injured member of the locals and the Cleon, while no one was paying attention, grabbed his weapon and slashed this guy in the chest, he stabbed him with his own sword and then put him on top of the sword so that no one would notice and he grabbed his phaser off of this guy's hip and hid it in his sock and at this point he runs forward saying no I will see the bodies I will confirm this story before we return and he pulls out his phaser And when Mahub's men try to stop him, oh no, sorry, before that, he pulls out his phaser, and then he's hit with an arrow, because at that point, Spock Spock and Kirk start opening fire on the Klingon. They hit him in the leg, which makes him drop his um, weapon, but then he manages to pick it back up, and he blows away one of Mahub's men yeah, just a li- literally obliterates him because he's got a phaser, of course, so he fires at him and it just basically disintegrates him on the spot and then he says, you primitive people with your weapons. I'll show you what real killing's about in, you know, the very Klingon way. And, at that point, Mahab knows that he fucked up. He took the Klingon side, it seems, then in that moment, that the humans are actually the more honourable ones, and he was just praising them beforehand at how they make good game, like they're really fighting back. Like, as a warrior people, they're sufficiently impressed by the prowess that Kirk and Spock are showing. And whereas the Klingon has been nothing but cowardly, now he's using a weapon that he was told he shouldn't have. So he's breaking their laws, he's disrespecting them, and he's just murdered one of them. So, you know, they're all standing there watching him. Like, what do we do? He has a phaser. He's out of a range of Kirk and that. And she, the wife of the tear, who is not pregnant anymore as well, she comes forward and says to Mahab, what are you, old children? Why are you not attacking? Are you warriors or children? He's one man. And that shames Mahab, it shames all of them. And Mahab basically at that point I think accepts that he's fucked up. He's, he's ungoofed, he's taken the wrong side, he's done all the most dishonorable things, he has not shown wisdom, nor has he shown strength, and he decides he's going to die honorably. And he basically tells his men to be ready. He charges forward and yells at the Klingon, holds his fists up in the air. And of course, the Klingon takes the shot, blows Mahab away, absolutely disintegrates him. And it basically, at that same moment, one of those thrown weapons is thrown from one of Mahab's men, hits the Klingon square in the chest, and I think kills him. Because he does fall to the ground, and I don't think they ever apply treatment or anything. Like, I think he's just murdered right there. Now. Now I have to explain there's a slight side plot going on with the Enterprise itself and Scotty being in charge that's been going on throughout the episode because at this point on the ground Scotty and a security team show up and they surround everyone with phasers up and say that's it everyone put your weapons down now this happens because Scotty originally was in orbit they got a message to the Enterprise from a freighter not far away and that freighter was under attack by a Klingon ship now earlier in the episode they had found that there was a Klingon ship just on the very edge of their sensor grid could pick up. They weren't sure how big it was because they didn't get much detail, but they got enough to be certain it was there. Now, so when they got this distress call that had been attacked by a Klingon ship, they, they tried to make contact with the captain. He obviously didn't have his communicator on him because this was the point where he was a prisoner. After a little while, Scotty says, all right, we're leaving orbit. We'll have to trust the captain to deal with this and we'll be back as soon as we can. We need to go render aid to that freighter. But they get there, there's no freighter, there's no damage, no signs of combat whatsoever, and no Klingon ship. At that point, they pull up the records, and Sulu, and Chekov, and Scotty all work out. The message said, Enterprise, Enterprise, please help, it was not a general distress signal, and because it was a freighter and not a Starfleet ship, it would have no way of knowing where the Enterprise was posted. So why did it call out to them by name and not use a general distress beacon which is the sign that, as Scotty I think was beginning to suspect, this was a way of luring the ship away from the planet. Now Scotty immediately gets the ship up to warp 6 and says take it back to the planet. Now when they're nearly back at the planet they receive another distress signal from a different ship who apparently on Federation records, is actually in the area, which means this one could be real. Uhura tries to tell him that, that like, this could be real, they are actually posted to this area, like, they should be here, and they too say they're under attack. Scotty overrules it, and he says, no, we're going to go back to the planet first. And she tells him, like, what if it's real, it could be real, and Scotty says, put it down as my order and my responsibility. Fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, well, you know the rest, and then Chekhov looks up and says, yes, I know this saying, it is from Russia, which... I love that he says that and then he smiles and looks at the camera and it's like, it's this weird, it kind of breaks the fourth wall where I feel like the actor actually cracked up a smile because he was telling a joke and he probably laughed at it and then for whatever reason they chose to keep that take because it's kind of funny. So now it's this weird, like he's almost breaking the fourth wall when he tells this joke, which it, it's not a big deal. I mean, it was funny, but it's just like, it was interesting. It was, it's the only fourth wall breaking that we, we don't often see Star Trek do that. But then they go towards the planet, and Scotty was right, as they arrive to the planet, there is a Klingon ship not far from the planet, and it's sitting just outside weapons range of the Enterprise. Now, Scotty tells them to open a channel to them, and says, Klingon ship, identify yourself, this is the Starship Enterprise. And after a little while, nothing happens, it refuses to answer. So Scotty says, okay Ahura, close the line. We're going to call their bluff, and he starts moving the ship towards the planet. And then it flicks back to the planet, and we see Kirk, like I described before, with the whole bow and arrow scene and the Klingon dying. And then, like I described, Scotty comes around the corner. Scotty comes around the corner, and apparently, I guess the Klingon ship was just as confused at what was going on as the uh, Federation ship was, because they obviously hadn't had contact with their captain down there either. And Scotty comes down and says, all right. Everybody put your weapons down. He's got his security team with him and he says there was a Klingon ship up there. Seems it didn't have the guts for fighting either. Which tells me that he called their bluff. He decided to cross that line and that Klingon ship, while it was a Klingon ship, probably wasn't the flagship of the Klingon fleet, which means on a one-on-one fight, the Enterprise probably would have won. And they knew that, so they fled. Left their captain to die. (laughs) And then of course he came down to rescue his captain because he says he came back. After the Klingon ship left, they did a quick scan of the village, discovered that they weren't there and then it wasn't hard to track down where they had gone and what had probably happened since then. And then we see at the end, there's a nice little scene on the bridge where they talk about how that little baby that they saved apparently, because before Mahab died I forgot to mention, he actually granted the wife of the earlier tier her life back. He draws his weapon and says I grant you your life back. Which means that her son is now the tier, because nobody killed Mahab to become Tyr, so when he dies, since the baby hadn't been killed, it is the son of the last tier which makes it the new tier. Apparently no one's willing to argue that, which I suppose I get they just lost a lot of people so we hear that that baby is going to be the tier at some point, and that the mother is going to serve as the Regent Lord and it apparently gets called oh, what did they call it, was uh, something James Aykroyd, or something because it's like the last name of the tribe I think it was McCoy James or something because it was named after McCoy first and then, you know, James Tiberius Kirk, the Captain Kirk. A little rude that she didn't throw Spock's name in there somewhere, but that's fine. She also had the least contact with Spock and he's not very personal. And then the episode ends. So, like, it's an interesting episode. It's cool to see the Klingons again, but honestly, it was only one Klingon and one brief moment where a Klingon ship was on screen. Like, there really wasn't much to it. There wasn't any big battles or anything, like, it's a very basic episode, it's a tribal episode, dealing with tribes, and, like, I like what they did, I don't think it's a bad episode, I just don't think it's an overly amazing episode, and there's not a whole lot to talk about with it, really, I know I've been talking 30 minutes doing my breakdown, but that's because it's me, and that's just how my brain works, I'm back and forth and all over the place when I describe things, but, alright, I'm just looking at my notes, is there anything else that I added in my special note of the area, fourth wall breaking joke, she calls it McCoy's, Like. <laughs> Yeah, there's a scene where, because he was trying to do the psychological, say it's your baby, and she keep, it's my baby, and she keeps saying, yes, it is yours, and she sort of says to um, McCoy at one point in front of Kirk that I am going to give birth to our baby soon, and then she holds McCoy's hand, and Spock and Kirk have a little bit of an eyebrow-raising moment, it's like, your child, and he's like, I promise I will explain later, <laughs> which is... Which is a great moment, even, even Spock's like, hmm, that should prove interesting. It's it's kind of weird, she says, her child. I don't really like how she does that to him, but I guess it's the, it's their culture thing. It's just, it comes off as a little bit weird the way they did it. She's not a bad actress, I don't think, that did it. She just, I, I think the script for it was just a little bit weird. One of those, the dialogue didn't really work for me. But anyway, like, like I said, not a terrible episode, not an amazing episode. But it was pretty cool. Anyway... The next episode is called Deadly Years, and I'm going to be watching that, well, for me, right now. I don't know exactly when I'll finish editing it all for you guys, but uh, thanks for coming by, thanks for listening, and I'll see you all the next one.